Please open your Bibles to John chapter 12. While you're turning there, let me um, update you on next Sunday and the following Sunday. Uh, Interesting year this year because Christmas Eve is a Sunday and New Year's Eve is a Sunday. Uh, What we're going to do beginning next Sunday and for, um, so the 24th and the 31st, there will only be one service in the morning. We're going to have a 10 o'clock service next Sunday and the following Sunday. We're going to bring everybody together and enjoy some some family time. Uh, And then in addition to 10 a.m. next Sunday, we'll have a 7 p.m., um, you know, the Lessons and Carols candlelight service that uh, we hope you'll, you'll come and we hope you'll bring uh, friends or family if anybody's visiting um, and from out of town or you have neighbors or coworkers that you've been looking for uh, just a, a sweet opportunity to, to bring with you to TAB. Uh, the Lessons and Carols service is wonderful. So uh, we look forward to you joining us um, next Sunday morning and, and Sunday evening. Uh, I also have some... Uh, it's not great news to share, and, and, uh, and I'm saddened by this, uh, but we want you to be aware of our brothers and sisters at Holy Cross East. This Sunday is their last Sunday to worship together in Fishersville. They're going to close it down. Um, they didn't meet the critical mass. Uh, they, they weren't able to gather momentum, and so um, they're just, you know, they've been at it for about nine months and made the decision that uh, this really isn't viable at this time. doesn't mean that down the road, they, they might not try again. Uh, so we're doing two things. We're, we're, we're giving thanks, fundamentally, all right? We're, we're giving thanks for um, faithful men and women and children who endeavored uh, to, to pull that plow and to uh, harvest that ground. Um, we're disappointed, of course, that families and individuals weren't added uh, to that worship site uh, so that it could, it could be viable. Um, but we are thankful for their, their faithfulness, their sacrifice, and... Um, we're also praying for God to comfort them because, as you can imagine, it's, um, this meeting with some disappointment, um, sadness, even anger. You know, why, Lord? This is a good thing. We're trying to, uh, to spread more light, and, uh, and it seems like it's being snuffed out. That's, that's honest, and that's good to take before the Lord as well. So please uh, pray for God to, to comfort um, Rick, the elders, uh, the members, and, uh, and everybody at Holy Cross uh, as, they, as they worship together. All right. Hey, we're, we're, uh, we're, as I said, in John chapter 12. And what we're looking at is the very end of, of chapter 12. John's gospel, uh, some commentators observe, really is divided into two parts. So you've got chapters 1 through 12 are, um, it's been referred to as the book of signs, these signs and sayings of Jesus. And then you begin in chapter 13, and it's the account of Christ's passion um, and so as the end of chapter 12 comes around, Jesus uh, gives a summary of his ministry. And we're going to pick up uh, at verse 44, if you would stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to begin at verse 44 and read through the end of chapter 12. <clears throat> and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, the word 
that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. Father, would you come and speak to us now? Give us your word. Help us to receive your word. Help us to be transformed by your word and receive light. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We have been doing a series this Advent called Why Jesus Came, and there are several places in John's Gospel where he will use that formula, I came, you know, in order to, or so that, or uh, um, as the different expressions that he uses uh, are are filled into those blanks. So uh, we've looked at the fact that Jesus came so that uh, he would not do his own will, but the Father's will, and you actually see him referring uh, to that theme here in this passage, you know, he's talking about not just speaking his own words, but really everything that he's saying was given to him precisely from the Father. He's not speaking of his own account, he's really speaking what his Father has given him to say. And so he didn't come to do his own will, he came to do the will of him who sent him. Uh, also, you see him mentioning eternal life. Verse 50, he says that this commandment is eternal life. He uses the expression abundant life, as we saw last week in John chapter 10. And this week, we look at verse 46, which is where I'm going to focus this morning, at how Jesus has come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in him may not remain in darkness. Jesus came as the light, and we, as his followers, are called to walk in light, uh, to live life in reaction to the light that has shown in our darkness. And... uh, And this is the time of year where we hear those prophecies uh, from the Old Testament uh, where Isaiah reminds us that there was one who God foretold would come and the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This is the light of the Messiah, the light of the Anointed One, the light of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who would come in fulfillment of all the types and symbols and prophecies of the Old Testament. And so Jesus comes and John begins this gospel by talking about how in Jesus was the life and the life was the light of men and Jesus is that combination of light and life and those themes are woven all throughout John's gospel and through his epistles and through Revelation, all of um, John's uh, contribution to the New Testament where he basically sums up Jesus' ministry, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, This light is insurmountable. It's like a JMU offense. Yes, can I get a witness? Good stuff. So all over the world, uh, and in every age, and, you know, it doesn't matter what the culture is or whatever, you you, you keep stumbling across this theme of light. Uh, So obviously it's in the Bible, uh, it's in the Old Testament, and that's, you know, the Jewish Bible, of course. Some of you, uh, if you have a King James Bible or if you grew up in a, uh, in a Catholic tradition, you've got a section in your Bible called the Apocrypha, and you'll run into um, two books in particular, First and Second Maccabees, which are, are really telling the story of how Hanukkah um, originated, uh, this festival of light, uh, the, the account of the Maccabean 
revolt against the Seleucid um, Persian Greco influence domination of uh, Israel. This is about 200 years before Jesus. And uh, they were trying to basically wipe out Jewish customs, Jewish laws, and so on. And so the Maccabean revolution took place, and it was, it was crazy. There was no way it was supposed to succeed. But they resisted uh, basically the, uh, the heirs of Alexander the Great and all that power and all that infantry. Um, they, were, they were successful in throwing off their, their foreign captors. And so they had this, this festival, um, and the menorah... Uh, was significant in that, and so that's why you see the menorah at Hanukkah, um, this festival of light. So you've got uh, light, obviously a theme in, in Judaism. It's a theme in Islam as well. In the Quran, in Surah 24, 35, uh, you'll come across verses like this in the Quran. Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. Light upon light, Allah guideth unto his light whom he will. Right? Um, Judaism... Islam, uh, what about Hinduism, Buddhism, Jains, Sikhs? Uh, in India, the most uh, you know, popular holiday is Diwali. And I, we, we used to get cards from a friend of ours named Singh, uh, Burinder Singh, um, and it was a Diwali card right around Christmas time. It's the same, roughly, same type of time of year. And Diwali is a festival of lights as well, and celebrated all throughout India. And what's interesting is it doesn't matter if you're Hindu, Buddhist, Sikh, or Jain. Uh, if, if you're Indian, basically you're celebrating Diwali, uh, and it's their New Year festival. You can go to China, and you can celebrate the Lantern Festival, and you can go to Chinese communities throughout America, and they'll have you know, this um, uh, Chinese Lantern Festival where they make what's essentially, like we would consider them floats you know, for a parade or something, but they're beautiful, and they're illuminated, and they're, they're um, gorgeous. Uh, they eat, you know, uh, wanjiao, these little rice balls, and they've got stuff stuck in the rice balls, and they'll give gifts. And, of course, there's fireworks. You know, it's, it's China. Um, but there's, it, it happens around the new, uh, full moon, and so there's light and, and that reminder of the lantern, and, you know, that's significant in, in Chinese culture. So, um, gosh, the course Christianity... Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, India, China, uh, and if you're a member of the Jedi religion, of course, you're going to run across this theme, the dark side and the light. Um, the, the Jedi advent calendar, by the way, ended on the 15th, uh, this past Thursday. That's when they celebrated. Um, and it was, um, oh, the movie was amazing. You had, you know, Ray and Finn, and they come, and they're, they're running, and uh, they're taking on the bad guys, and then the Avengers swoop in, uh, and then Harry Potter comes in, and it's e pluribus unum, and um, I, won't, I won't spoil the end, because I haven't seen it yet, so don't spoil it for, for me. Um, we're waiting for all of the daily Padawans to gather and assemble, and then we'll, we'll go together. Um, yeah, so this is just this thread throughout popular culture and world religions and ancient cultures and just so you know you know George Lucas didn't come up with light and dark just for fun he was a disciple uh, he was a disciple of a man named Joseph Campbell and Joseph Campbell was an expert in ancient mythologies and so Lucas is reading Joseph Campbell and Joseph Campbell is talking about how these ancient myths are talking about light and dark and where does all this come from is, is this 
is this common denominator the evidence of what people say is just sort of the universal fatherhood of God and, you know, we're all, we're all just expressing our God connection in various ways, you know, and, it's, it, you know, it's cool how they do it and it's cool how they do it and everybody's doing their own thing and it's all cool. Is that, it's all good. Is that what's going on? Because I think there's another way to look at it. And in, and in one sense, yes, it's, it's, it's true that we are all made in God's image. Every human being is fearfully and wonderfully made, and we still connect vertically with our creator. And so, yes, of course, if God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, wouldn't it just make sense that every human being is going to have some affinity for light? Doesn't it make sense that every child seems to have that, you know, fear of darkness? But they're not afraid of the light. But is it, that doesn't necessarily mean or lead to a conclusion that therefore everything's good. It just means that we all have a common creator. We all can, can connect back to that original source and, and, and we're accountable to him. And the problem is that Yes, while we all uh, you know, have this sense of there's light and there's darkness and light's good and beautiful, but there's also this, this recognition that darkness is this picture of what's broken, what's missing, what's lacking, and ultimately that just leads to things like evil and sin and, and death. And, and we can recognize this affinity for light, this, this propensity to darkness. It's in us. It's warring. It's battling. And, and you know, that's... Because even though we were walking in darkness and we've seen a great light, that darkness is still at work in us, um, you know, and it's by virtue of the prince of darkness or the, the influence of the world, our own sinful nature. Uh, let me tell you about a, a prince of darkness, a prince, little p. Um, name was Ebenezer Scrooge, right? You know, you know him. Uh, it's no accident uh, a, good, a good storyteller will do this, and, and Charles Dickens is a good storyteller. Do, do you know that, that, I don't know what version you've seen, what play or movie or Muppet version of A Christmas Carol is prominent for you, but I wasn't really until this year, and I love this story, and I read it every, every Christmas, it wasn't until this year that I realized in my mind's eye I've had it all wrong. I, I imagine, yeah, it's the, it, it, the, the counting house where Scrooge and... Bob Cratchit are when the scene opens up, you know, Cratchit's at his candle and he's trying to warm himself and Ebenezer has a very tiny fire and Cratchit's fire is tinier still. And so, you know, yeah, it would make sense that it would be dark in that place, but that's not how any of the movies depict it. That's not how any of the pictures show it. It's sort of light. But, but listen to how, how Dickens describes the scene. It was cold, bleak, Biting weather, foggy with awe. The city clocks had only just gone three. So what time is it? Three in the afternoon. But it was quite dark already. It had not been light all day. And the candles were in the windows. It's three o'clock in the afternoon, and, and people are using candles for light. So I don't know what picture you have of how the Christmas carol begins, but it's dark. Dickens begins his story in darkness. Because, well, let's face it, Scrooge is this prince of darkness. And he's haunting the streets of London as he leaves his counting house. And, and Dickens describes how he goes down this dark alley where his house is. That's like the house that's run away. And, 
played a, a game of hide-and-seek and, and gotten lost, and just, you know, nobody goes back there anymore. And when he gets into his courtyard, it's so dark that he, he literally has to feel his way along the stones to get to his front door. The only light that is visible is the light of the glowing door knocker that has, you know, Marley's face on it and freaks Scrooge out, and then he goes inside, and his foyer is dark. And his stairwell is dark, and his bedrooms are dark. And this is a picture for us of the darkness that is within Scrooge. The darkness that Marley is exposing through his visit. And, and Scrooge is trying to make sense of this, and he's trying to comfort himself, and he's trying not to be freaked out. And he says, but Marley, you were always a good man of business, Jacob. And, um, and Jacob Marley's response is, business? Business, cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the, incompre- in the comprehensive ocean of my business. So, you know, Marley is regretting and mourning this lack of awareness that really his business was blessing his neighbor. And instead, he had consumed himself or been consumed by his trade, by, you know, making money. And this is a picture of the darkness that's in Scrooge's heart. So, you know, we are not very different if we're honest. There's darkness in us, places where we choose darkness instead of light. We do not love the light of God's glory and holiness. We choose, we choose sin. And John 3 tells us this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And in his first epistle, John says that whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes and we do this, don't we? Don't we use dark words in exchange with one another? Instead of words that have light and life and buoyancy, instead we use heavy, angry, malicious words. We use truth as a weapon instead of a cure because we want to tear down our opponent. We've got to win the argument. I've got to be victorious. And that's darkness. And we choose dark actions. We choose to do what we know is going to hurt somebody. I don't care what the cost is. I've got to be proved right, or I've got to get my advantage, or whatever it is, you know. And and so sometimes it's something active that we do that's dark, and sometimes it's just we know we should do the light, and we just choose to do nothing. And that's the darkness within us. The darkest thing in in us, I'm, I'm convinced, is not even so much our words or our actions, but it's our indifference. I mean, isn't that what, what, you know, Dickens is exposing, Scrooge's indifference? Don't they have counting houses or workhouses, and don't they have, you know, the jails and so on? And, you know, hey, if the, if the poor are going to die, they better just go ahead and do it. And we just are indifferent. We don't really love like we're made to love. We're not shining the light that we were made to shine. And, and that's what's tragically dark within us. So yeah, that's all there. Uh, there's the love for light. We're, we're, a, we're a bundle of contradictions. But the good news of this passage in John 14 is that Jesus did not come to judge. 
but to save. Look at verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And Again, this is the end of the first part of John's gospel, and you know, here we, we, we pick up, um, I think I said chapter 14, I meant chapter 12, but here we're at the end of chapter 12, and, and Jesus is, is repeating a refrain from back in chapter 3. Whereas I know are familiar to you, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And then the very next verse says this, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. How did Jesus save us? Where else do you see darkness in the Bible? You go to a number of places, but one of the prominent places that you see darkness demonstrated is when Jesus was on the cross. Matthew 27 tells us from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This darkness was this picture of Jesus being forsaken by his father. Was that three-hour window of darkness, uh, you know, was that just mood lighting? Was that a dramatic effect? Or was there something far more serious going on there? And of course, of course it was. Jesus was taking on our darkness onto himself and experiencing that, that God-forsaken darkness. The absence of God who is light, the absence of What is beauty, what is hope, what is purity, what is righteousness, what is joy, all of that's gone. And when Jesus was on the cross, he was saying to me and saying to you, give me your darkness. Give it to me. I'm going to take it on myself. I will take your darkness, and in exchange for that darkness, I'm going to give you my light. Here, take it. This is your gift. My gift to you. And any who come to him, Any who come to Jesus and recognize he was taking my darkness in my place. He is giving me his light as a gift. Anyone can receive that gift. Anyone. It wasn't just mood lighting. It was Jesus experiencing that that picture of no warmth, no goodness, no purity, no glory, no beauty. Jesus became sin so that we might receive his righteousness. We might receive his light. Ultimately, his darkness was this picture of being without God, and he was doing that in our place as our Savior to experience that God-forsakenness that none of us, none of us should ever have to experience. There's a reason why, as children, we're afraid of the dark. Because we know it is to be feared. Don't go there. Well, Jesus came to save, but he's going he's gonna to come again. And his first, the first time he came, he came to save us from our sins. But he's coming again, and this time he's coming for a different purpose. Uh, he just got done telling us, hey, listen, in verse 47, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world, right? You see that in verse 47? Now, turn in your bulletin. Open your bulletin to the first panel, and you'll see the Nicene Creed. 
you'll see the Nicene Creed, this, these words are 1,700 years old. Saints have been reciting these words as an expression of what we believe for millennia. And in the second passage there, you, you see the first three lines are about the Father, and then you've got the, the main portion about the Son, and then it wraps up with the Holy Spirit. But look at the end of the second section, the middle section, where it talks about how Jesus shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. Which is it? Did he come, I mean, verse 47, right? Verse 47, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And here we're all confessing that he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. Which is it? The important thing to make sense of that, if it seems contradictory, it's not. The important thing to make sense of that is that he came once to save. And he's coming again to judge. His words, he meant what he said, and his words are going to hold us accountable to what are we doing with the light? Are we stepping into the light? Are we receiving the light that he's got for us? Or are we rejecting that light? Are we preferring darkness to light? And when he comes again, there will be an accountability. Uh, Back in chapter 5 of John's gospel, uh, Jesus says that the Father has given him, the Son, uh, the, the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and of light. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So I want you to understand that when that day comes, it's not going to be Jesus consigning people to darkness who who, who never chose darkness. No, instead it's the way one commentator put it, that the The rejection of the kingdom, that is Jesus saying, depart from me, I never knew you. The rejection of the kingdom brought by the Christ can only end in exclusion from it. Meaning that when we reject Jesus, he comes and he gives us what we wanted. Fine, you don't want the light, then you you will not have the light. An eternity of darkness. But to those who do want the light, an eternity of light and goodness. Verse 46, Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We don't have to have darkness. Come into the light, embrace the light that Jesus gives us, and walk in the light. Jesus came to save, and we're in this time in between when he first came and when he's coming again, and this time is the time when we can receive the light, the gift that God gives us through Jesus. To walk in the light as he is in the light. Um, you know, that I mentioned earlier that, um, that thread of light and life and how, you know, that's this picture of the identity of God. John says it that succinctly. God is love. God is light. And when Jesus does return again and no more let sins and sorrows grow and thorns infest the ground, when that day comes, when there will be no more presence of sin, there will be this the city of light that descends from heaven, and heaven and earth will be united again. And listen to how John, again, describes this in Revelation 21. 
He says that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. The reason why the gates aren't shut is because there's nothing to fear anymore. There's no more threat, no more sin, no more darkness, nothing to be afraid of. Why do we need the gates shut and locked anymore? Can you imagine an eternity with nothing to fear? Dickens began his story in darkness, you know, dark. Three o'clock in the afternoon, what in the world is going on that it's this dark? And then the ghosts come and they visit Scrooge, you know, midnight and 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. and so on. And, and, and he, he wakes up wondering, oh no, have I missed Christmas? You know, it seemed like, you know, a, a very long time it had transpired, but in fact, it was all in one night. Scrooge's deliverance from the dark. And he wakes up, and Dickens again uses the picture of light, running to the window. Scrooge opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist, clear, bright, jovial, golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet, fresh air, merry bells, oh, glorious, glorious. And Scrooge, transformed Scrooge, becomes this picture of light. He hasn't just stepped into the light, he hasn't just opened the windows to the light, but he becomes somebody who is glowing himself, glowing with joy, glowing with goodness, Glowing with, with generosity, glowing with his own giddiness, like a schoolgirl is how he describes himself. You know, you see that transformation. People who leave darkness and finally come into the light, there's this relief, there's joy, there's goodness. And Scrooge is walking in the light and love of this transformation. And we are called to walk in the light and love of God. I mean, this is how Paul puts it in Ephesians For at one time, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. He goes on later to say, walk in love. Scrooge doesn't just come into the light, he radiates it. We don't just come into the light of the gospel, but we're transformed by it so that we radiate it as well. And this is where, you know, hopefully people are seeing this, this transformation in us. You couldn't see Scrooge after that night and not see a transformation in him. And that's the challenge of the gospel to each of us. Yes, Jesus freely takes away our darkness. And he freely gives us the gift of his, of his light and his life and his warmth and his goodness and his beauty and his purity. All that's ours is a gift. But the challenge of the gospel is that don't just step into the light. Be transformed. And if our life isn't demonstrating that kind of goodness and and joy and generosity, then we've got to be asking ourselves, is there something I'm missing? Am I missing the real joy in the life that Jesus has given us? Are people warmed by our presence or are they chilled by our presence? Do people see the light of Jesus in us or do they see the darkness of our sin? Do they see more clearly the reality of what is true for an eternity or you know, are our lives really not telling that story? But listen, I'm, I'm not here to give anybody a guilt trip because of what you're not doing. 
Can I be honest? There are days when this is a pretty good picture of my heart. It's been in the dark. And I'm reacting to the darkness. I'm living out of the darkness. I'm, re- I'm responding you know, with darkness, all of that. And it's a mess. I mean, I want this. This is what I want people to see. This is what Jesus came to do in me. And, and the more I'm in the light, the more this is true for me, I'm getting healthier, and you know, the more you're in the light, you're, you're, you're blossoming and flourishing. And, and, and then when we choose darkness, this is what happens, and we shrivel, and we get crinkly and cranky, and so on. But you know what the best thing that we can do? The best thing to do is if, if you're having one of these days, the light of Jesus is so good that he even calls us, just, just confess this is me. This is the best I can do. And that is so life-giving to other people. Instead of our self-protective posture, our self-righteous posture, our defensive posture, just confess. I'm a mess. I don't know why. I'm just, I'm living out of my darkness. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Do you know how life-giving those words are to somebody You've hurt. I forgive you. Do you know how life-giving those words are to somebody who's hurt you? It's okay. If you've got a heart that seems to be governed by darkness, bring it into the light. And let the good news of Jesus change us. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the light of the gospel. Thank you for forgiving our darkness and for delivering us from darkness and bringing us into light and life, into beauty and purity and goodness and joy and warmth, into the presence of God himself. Lord, would you continue to transform us and show us how to, how to bring the light of the gospel and to bring the light of the kingdom um, into the lives of the people around us. Let us not just receive it, but radiate it through love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control, all these good things. And for the places where we stumble and fumble and fall, help us to shine the light of your, your forgiveness. Help us to shine the light of the gospel that gives us the freedom to repent, to confess, to forgive and to pursue. We pray in Jesus' name.